Welcome to NARAL's The Morning After. Each week, our podcast brings you the latest on reproductive health care, progressive politics, and the fight to keep abortion safe and legal. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube, and on our website at ProChoiceOhio.org. The program also airs each Friday morning at 9 on WGRN 94.1 in Columbus, Ohio. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ProChoiceOH. NARAL's The Morning After is a production of NARAL ProChoice Ohio. Enjoy the show! Hi, I'm Gabe. Hi, I'm Kelly Copeland. Uh, how do you say things are going uh, in Ohio in October under the COVID continuation? Well, I, th- I think the shine is a little bit off of uh, the Ohio Department of Health and Governor DeWine's uh, handling of the pandemic. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the thing that, you know, really is on my mind about it is having heard uh, Dr. Fauci talking to people about Thanksgiving and about this winter, and also seeing um, the Trump campaign putting footage of Dr. Fauci in their com- in their commercials that takes right. him out of context. It's surreal. Yeah, and I I was kind of curious. Uh, so I I looked back. Uh, through some of the tweets from the State House Press Corps to, to try and identify, because I remember the earliest stages of the briefings from uh, DeWine, from Dr. Acton, and I remember there being so much shock in the press corps when they saw the potential numbers. And so I wanted to see what were those numbers and, you know, and how do they look now? And so what I found was they had initial estimates, uh, high end of, you know, tens of thousands of new cases daily. But on April 8th, which was still very early within yeah. basically what I consider like the first month of the, yeah. the Ohio reaction to this, they put out a revised estimate and they said that they think that at peak there will be one 1,600 new cases daily, and that'll be the high watermark. And so I looked at now in October, what was our past average? And the past few days, the past seven days, you know, I looked 48 hours ago, it was just over 1,400, yeah. 1,400 cases. And today, Ohio and Michigan both announced that we've broke 2,000 cases and so if you take that into the average, we are right now almost exactly at that 1,600 cases per day mark that we were told back in early April would be a sign of the, probably where we would peak at. You know, there's so many people who have just acted like, we're bored with this pandemic, we're done with it, we're not wearing mm-hmm. masks, we're not this, we're not that. It's so passive. <laughs> and I can't help but think about all of these nurses and maintenance people at the hospitals and the doctors and everybody who, you know, really on the front lines of this and just the total lack of regard for them. And it it really reminds me of the lack of regard that this country has had for people who are enlisted in the military. Yes. Through all of these wars. Where, Where is the shared responsibility? Where is the sacrifice? Where is the care for each other? That really came to mind. It became crystal clear when I saw some of the, the news organizations tweeting about all the different White House press, not press corps, staff members um, yes. who might be exposed now that there's a COVID outbreak in the White House. And so they were listing, well, here's all the staff members who were on Marine One uh, with Trump. None of them listed the Marines 
on Marine One. <laughs> you know, it's more than just Stephen Miller and Hope Hicks, you know, that are on that helicopter in these enclosed spaces in the limousine with him, on Air Force One with him. It's also exposing their family. One of my best friends is an Army wife. Uh, I guarantee you the enlisted person isn't the only person who serves and sacrifices, and it's the same right. for the people who are, um, you know, working around um, the president or um, you know, other other posts in our government where they have been exposed to things in, our, in a really reckless way. And, and then you have the president turning around and calling uh, veterans, what did he call them, losers? Um, Smokers and losers. Yeah, as the daughter of a PO, POW and a veteran, I, I have to be honest, I, I'm, I'm glad my dad wasn't here to hear, to hear that. Right. Uh, I mean, people do so much, some people. Uh, as as we moved uh, through all of the, the pandemic response, the nation's politics, of course, kept changing. We lost Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, as everyone listening knows, and and that had had several aspects to it. The first being a personal loss. Uh, the second one being uh, sort of the loss of someone who is protecting rights. And then third, it, it transformed the election. Um, what are your thoughts on the passing of Justice Ginsburg? It was such a gut punch. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, not a perfect figure. None of us are. But she, literally everything about my life, she had a role in making possible. Um, you know, the fact that I can own a home without a man as a co-signer, that, you know, I can, um, you know, that I could go to law school, that I could do so many things. I didn't go to law school, by the way, but I could have. Um, so many of the things about my life and the life of uh, my children was made possible because of her, um, whether it was when she was an attorney or the things that she did on the Supreme Court. I just always thought, it, again, it, you know, there are, maybe there's a theme for me today that there are so many people carrying such a heavy burden um, that she had to fight cancer so many times. God knows how much pain and suffering she went through trying to hold on um, for us. And there was a, a reporter who tweeted, um, some, uh, an editorial writer who tweeted something when she died that um, we didn't deserve her. And I was like, she thought we did. Look at the way she fought and suffered. She right. thought we were worth it. Um, and, you know, and I think her example, more than anything, is such a call to service, to um, fighting for what you believe in, for making that your life's work. I, you know, I think losing John Lewis and Justice Ginsburg, Congressman Lewis, and Justice Ginsburg in the same year, two people who dedicated their lives to the cause of liberty and justice um, at a time when that is so critically important to our country um, has been painful. Yes. But at the same time, it's a passing of the torch. Um, and it's, it's, it's a call to arms for people who are fighting for social justice, who are fighting for the things that matter, the welfare of people, democracy, the right to vote, access to abortion, access to the ballot box, um, 
you know, they, they thought that we mattered enough that they spent their entire lives and careers fighting for these things. And I, I think they were right. And I think it's a real call to action for us to carry on for them. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, speaking of the, the passing of uh, John Lewis, um, I, I do just want to mention Nikema Williams, uh, state senator in Georgia, um, won the uh, Democratic primary in that race uh, to, uh, to fill John Lewis's seat. Um, I'm, I'm sure she feels that she'll never fill his shoes. Um, uh, and I'm not saying that she will, but she's an amazing public service uh, servant down there. Um, who I got to meet uh, when she worked, she and I both worked for Planned Parenthood. Um, and when I heard that uh, she was the selection of the Democratic Party um, to to run in that race, and it's it's almost, you know, once you win the primary in one of those seats, yeah. you know, that, that was right. the race for her. Uh, when I heard that she was the name to, to fill such a historic seat, I gasped. It was just like, you know, it's it's my favorite news story of 2020 of all of the dark points that's one like nice little ray of, of sunlight that they really did pick like the perfect um the perfect person to to fill that seat so she'll do an amazing job there the people of atlanta are in in excellent hands well and to that point too you know i mean everyone knows that so much is on the line with you know this uh uh, next, you know, appointment to the Supreme Court. Um, but the one thing I haven't heard a lot of people talk about is that uh, presidential candidate uh, Joe Biden has said that, you know, if he has the opportunity to appoint someone to the court, um, that he intends to appoint a black woman. And, you know, <laughs> here you have conservatives trying to put, um, you know, uh, Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court. Um, and believe me, she is no intellectual heavyweight. <laughs> um, right. You know, the lawyers it's that I know are like, whoa. <laughs> like she, um, the mediocrity of her is uh, what I hear a lot of people talk about, um, just as a, you know, as a jurist, as an attorney. Um, but, you know, a lot, I mean, we're fighting for so much about what the court can impact everything from the Affordable Care Act to abortion rights, to voting rights, to, you know, the ability to join a union, so many things. Um, but, you know, we're also fighting for the opportunity to build a court that looks like the country. There's never been a black yes. woman to serve on the highest court of the land. That is a tragedy. People uh, in the judges that uh, Trump and Pence have put on the federal bench over the past three, uh, three and a half years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, it is such an important seat of power in the United States government, um, as such an important check on the legislative and the administrative branch. And the fact that there has never been a black woman on this court, um, that's part of what we're fighting for too, is to have a court, I mean, you're supposed when when you are in part of the judicial system, you know, you're supposed to be able to face a jury of your peers. What about a court of your peers, a court of people who are like us? America's never had that, and and we really should. Right. 
we did hear um, both of the candidates for president address that. That was question number one <laughs> in the Trump-Biden uh, debate. Um, was that a debate? Well, I, 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 won't, I, I won't die on the hill of, of referring to it as a proper debate. I will say, thank goodness uh, that that question was so important that it was asked first. If it was buried uh, 10 questions deep in uh, moderator Chris Wallace's agenda, it never would have actually been asked. Um, well, they were supposed to circle back to it. I noticed that they didn't. One of these days. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Ugh, yeah, I mean, look, President Trump has said that he intends to only nominate judicial nominees who would overturn Roe. I mean, the list was vetted by the Federalist Society. I mean, he can, he can play all the kabuki theater he wants about, well, I didn't ask her this or that. Well, no, duh. The Federalist Society did all that vetting. They handed you a list and you picked somebody off the list. I mean, Americans are not stupid. You know, we, we know. Um, he said it himself. And he also has said, you know, when he ran four years ago, he said that he thought, you know, women who have abortion should be punished. I mean, you know, this is this is their agenda. And, you know, they have been working for decades to capture the majority on the court. I mean, I think it's pretty clear what, uh, you know, a second Trump administration would bring more of that. Um, you know, that's very much what's what's on the line for, you know, for abortion rights and and health care more broadly. Right. Uh, we heard uh, more of the same, but in a in a quieter tone uh, during the debate between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris. Um, you know, the, there was so much of the the stupid fly, but there were some very uh, important moments. Um, Senator Harris uh, directly called out Trump's racism, um, citing uh, you know his support of the the jerks with tiki torches uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, she you mentioned mean the Klan. Sorry. <laughs> you mean the Klan? Yes, the Klan. The okay. jerks. Um, uh, she she named Brianna Taylor as someone who, uh, and that was that was actually the question from the moderator of you know has Brianna Taylor received justice? Has her family gotten justice uh, following her murder? Um, which you know, Pence said that he he felt bad uh, for it, but you know it, the the answer you know had to be no. Uh, she has not gotten any form of justice. Um, one of many, many, many um, people, uh, you know, black people who've been murdered by law enforcement. Well, you know, and this week was, uh, would have been, uh, was uh, George Floyd's birthday. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my cousin was murdered uh, back in 2000. And so uh, I've been part of a family that's experienced a loss that was, you know, by violence, by gun violence, and had to go through like the court system. It was not by a police officer. And I, I always look at this through those eyes of how painful it is going through the process trying to get justice. 
Um, and I always think about those milestones, the birthdays, the anniversaries, the, the holidays, right. um, and how that justice denied makes those wounds, makes that pain so much worse. Right. How that being part of a national debate, um, why is there any debate about this? I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, there's so many layers to this. It's the fear of, of, of people of color, black people in particular, about knowing what can happen to them in this world and that there won't be justice. Um, more than likely there won't be justice. And then there's that really personal piece to the families and the friends, the survivors who, who have to grieve that and try to figure out how to live a life through that. Um, and I think my thoughts, you know, always go to both ends of that. Um, you know, there's, there's the victim of the violence, but then there's so many people who are also um, experiencing and living through that trauma that that lack of justice, that lack of change is, is putting all across this country on, on everyday Americans. And it's, um, it's, it's really hard. It's hard to imagine um, how you try to pick up the pieces and go on with your life. Um, you know, I think of, you know, Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, you know, he was on um, uh, CBS News, um, he was interviewed um, about what happened. And I, it was, it was a really hard thing to listen to. I mean, you're laying in bed and all of a sudden people are shooting up. I mean, over 20 shots into your bedroom and, right. you know, and you're taken out of there. You don't know if your girlfriend's dead or alive. Um, so often in these cases, people are shot and then they're not given medical help. Yes. It's very possible that Brianna Taylor could have survived her wounds had they not just let her bleed to death. And, right. you know, and of course that reminds me of what happened right here in Cleveland with Tamir Rice. Um, you know, he was shot by the police and his sister was handcuffed in the back of the car watching him bleed to death while no one helped him, a 12-year-old boy. Right. This country has to bring justice. Um, this country has to change everything about the way the police operate, um, the way it's militarized, the, the biases, the, the violence, the lack of justice. Um, right. this, is, this is not something our country will survive. It has to change. And these, these families deserve justice. Yes. Uh, we, we admit that those changes aren't going to come purely through elections. No, um, that's just the beginning. Elections are the beginning. Um, and, and there's one coming up. Um, what? So, <laughs> uh, there's an election. Yeah. Early voting uh, is huge. Uh, there's lines uh, wrapping around county board of elections offices, um, which many people see as enthusiasm. Uh, I just saw tweets from uh, Congresswoman Marsha Fudge uh, and Congresswoman Joyce Beatty today saying, hey, 
this isn't uh, just enthusiasm. Long lines mean voter suppression. There should not be uh, huge long lines. Um, do you have thoughts uh, or suggestions for people who are looking to get their ballot uh, turned in? Yeah, you know, I requested a, a mail-in ballot. Um, I live in Summit County. Um, according to their website, my ballot has been mailed. It has not yet been received. I was just at the mailbox moments ago, breathlessly looking for my ballot. Um, my mom's you know, in the same boat you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have never been so eager to vote in my life. Um, I saw a yard sign that says, I am so voting. That is, I think, <laughs> I think that's where a lot of us are. I think the thing is to make a plan. You know, if, if you feel like going to the voting center um, in your county, the county board of elections is usually the place, and voting early in person with your mask and all of that, you should do that and you should do it as soon as you can. If, if you are one of those people who's like, by God, I vote on election day at my precinct, which in my case is the first congregational church, <laughs> make sure you know when you're going, how you're getting there, that you have your list of candidates up and down the ballot. It's not just president state Supreme Court, state legislature. This is how we protect all the things that we care about, including abortion access. You've got to elect people up and down. And you know, if you're like me, I'm going to get my ballot in the mail. I swear to God, if they don't get that ballot to me in the mail in the next two days, I'm going to lose my mind. But um, I, I worked at the Summit County Board of Elections when I was in college. So, um, you know, I have too much information. Um, but, uh, um, I'm waiting for that ballot and my plan is to fill it out um, with my children. Um, voting is not optional in this house. Who you vote for is your choice. Whether you vote is not an option um, in this house. You, 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 you shall vote. Um, that is a requirement to live under this roof. And then I will drive them down uh, to the drop box to make sure that I see it get hand delivered. Um, and that's my plan. Um, I think if anyone plans to mail their ballot in, they got to do it fast and we got to make sure they have enough postage on it. Yes. So my advice is pick when and where, have your list of candidates, and you can go to your county board of elections website and you can look up what's going to be on your ballot, which I did last night because I was so anxious to get my ballot. I'm like, I just got to see what everything's on here. I got to make my list. So I've made my list. I'm ready to fill it out when it gets there's here. There's long language for a, a ballot initiative. You can read it in advance. Yeah, well, all those, you know, judges and, you know, some people don't know who their state legislator or their state senator is. And, you know, certainly we've made endorsements in many, many of those races. Um, so I'll make a plug that you can go to ProChoiceOhio.org and see who we recommend. Yes, and link in the show notes. Um, and I, you know, I think one of the people I really can't wait to vote for is Jennifer Bruner for yes. state Supreme Court. Um, you know, it's, it's weird that we elect the state Supreme Court, but um, if my choices are Mitch McConnell picks who's on the U.S. Supreme Court or voters pick who's on the state Supreme Court, I guess the second is better. I don't, I don't know. As a political science major, I could probably argue both sides of that, but nonetheless, I'm super excited to vote for Jennifer Bruner in particular. Right. 
Uh, and then uh, last thing, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, after the election is over, of course, politics never ends. Who's that going to be? Uh, <laughs> I don't think we're going to know on election night, but okay. Well, uh, we know that uh, we know that at, at least during the lame duck period after election day, uh, before the beginning of the next term, the Republicans uh, will still be controlling uh, everything in the world. Um, we're expecting uh, Ohio Republicans to push a new uh, abortion ban um, in November, December in the Ohio State House uh, called a trigger ban. What is a trigger ban and why should everybody be asking their state legislative candidates about it? A trigger ban is something that a bunch of feckless cowards pass when they try to circumvent the voters and want to pre-outlaw abortion in the future when they may or may not um, continue to hold their offices. Um, so what I would say is that if at any time um, the Supreme Court would overturn or sufficiently gut Roe versus Wade, um, that without a vote of the legislature um, of the future, when that might could happen, um, that abortion would automatically be outlawed. So it's just another way, whether you're talking about gerrymandering or you're talking about trigger bans, or you're talking about pushing through a nominee during an election. These are all ways for people who know that they don't have the support of the majority of the public, of their constituents, to put their views in place without having to face voters. So they're trying to outlaw abortion in the future. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of a feckless right. thing. Yeah, so if, if an abortion ban from, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, Indiana, you know, wh wherever it would get passed, if that would make it all the way to the US Supreme Court, and be upheld and overturn Roe in that state, in Indiana or Alabama, then Ohio, if we had a trigger ban law in place, would automatically ban abortion here. It would be triggered by that other state's abortion ban. Right. And I think the fact that they're trying to pass that um, lets you know that they know what we know, which is a small fraction of people in this country actually support that. <laughs> um, you know, in Ohio, it's it's way less than 20% of the people who think that abortion should be outlawed in that in that fashion. Right. The vast, vast majority of people in this state and across the country think that abortion should be legal, safe, available in your community. Right. And um, we know that from it, new polls that came out this week. Well, every, every week, <laughs> every week from forever. Yes. Okay. We've never lost majority support. Um, in fact, in Ohio, it's been growing by leaps and bounds because people are understanding that, hey, these people who are talking about outlawing abortion, they're not screwing around. They're serious. And I'm like, okay. yeah, they're serious. Um, they're so serious that they're trying to disenfranchise voters. They're trying to, they've gerrymandered districts so that they can, you know, create a majority in the legislature that does not reflect the will of the majority of, of people. Um, so yeah, um, they're, they're trying to create what is essentially a tyranny of the minority. Right. And, um, you know, 
to do that is one of the least patriotic and least American, least democratic, small d things I can imagine. Um, you know, if you can't, if you can't win based on public support and you have to resort to those measures, I mean, come on. You shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Right. So everybody ask your state legislative candidates uh, for state Senate and state House of Representatives. Um, what do they think about a, a trigger ban on abortion? Because that's going to be something uh, that we know uh, we're going to be seeing in November, in December. Um, go to ProChoiceOhio.org uh, to sign to volunteer. Uh, we have a field team who's starting to organize folks uh, to become vocal about this. Starting. Yes. <laughs> Continuing oh my God, they're on fire. Yes, they're, they're a great team. Okay, and uh, everybody make your plan to vote. Take care of yourselves, everybody. And we'll talk to you again sometime soon.